Bankless Nation. It is Friday morning, the second week of June. Roll-up time. David, you ready for roll-up time? Ryan, I'm always ready for roll-up time. It's honestly the favorite, my favorite piece of content that we produce here on the Bankless program. It's the most fun. Just so consistent. Every week we bring you markets, releases, news takes, what we're excited about. It causes David and I to go in depth on the week too. Make sure we absorb all of the headlines. So super exciting. This comes at you every Friday morning so you can enjoy it with your morning cup of coffee. YouTube, I think, is the best way to view this because we've got lots of visuals. But if you are podcast only, enjoy it on the podcast feed too. David, before we get to the first section, we got to announce something that's uh, kind of exciting. This is a partnership between the Bankless DAO and PyDAO, which is an index um, yeah, a DeFi index organization, and they are also a DAO, and they've created a way to earn uh, liquidity. Do you want to talk about this for a bit? Yeah, this is uh, something I think that where the through line is really about DAO to DAO partnerships, right? Uh, PyDAO wants uh, liquidity and asset deposits, and it is uh, incentivizing the bankless DAO uh, to both uh, uh, submit liquidity, uh, which is what the PyDAO wants, but also use a referral link to generate referral fees for bankless DAO. Uh, and I, uh, like I said in the in the uh, Future of Work article that came out on Bankless last week, the future of work is like DAO to DAO relationships. We can bootstrap these things ourselves. So if you go to the link in the show notes and you deposit liquidity and stake your LP tokens, you get a pretty healthy yield, at least at current dough prices. Um, uh, right now, you are getting 375% APY at current liquidity and current dough prices, so big asterisk, um, on the dough to the play to dough LP. And then on the dough to ETH LP, you're getting 290%, again, at current liquidity prices and current dough, dough prices, uh, which are pretty awesome yields. If that is something that you are interested, click in the, the link in the show notes and bankless dow gets the referral fees there you go there's a whole how-to guide if none of that made sense to you read the how-to guide and you will learn more all right david you ready to get into this let's do it ryan there's there's so much to talk about this week per uh, usual i know i know all right market let's start there bitcoin price bitcoin still number one last i checked how's bitcoin price hanging this week yeah bitcoin touched a low of right below thirty two thousand dollars which again was really really spooking people but then the el salvador news came and bitcoin <laughs> pumped from thirty two thousand dollars all the way up to three thousand seven hundred and eight hundred dollars and now we are at the current price of thirty six thousand and eight hundred dollars with the bitcoin price uh we had our state of the nation nation with ledger status and he kind of schooled us on ta and, and analysis and he kind of uh, pointed out how broken the bitcoin chart looked and how scary it looked it doesn't look awesome it doesn't look awesome right now but my my take is that this el salvador news could be the news to help repair the bitcoin chart uh it's very it's very plausible it's, it, it seems to be an easy take to say that this El Salvador news is going to what is paints the floor of the Bitcoin price, possibly, possibly. Interesting. We'll we'll definitely see. Uh, the charts don't lie is what I learned from from Ledger. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still a lot of fear in the markets, David. This is the the feed the fear and greed index uh, from an organization that monitors sentiment for for Bitcoin. We're still in the extreme fear zone, and I think this is on the back of just a lot of. Um, you know, downward price action, but also energy, um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt going on in the market, even some regulatory clampdown talk. Mm -hmm. So that, that extreme fear sentiment is, uh, is still pretty active for Bitcoin. Any thoughts there? 
Yeah, the Bitcoin has had an insane amount of headwinds, especially coming yeah from the regulatory environment. We've got we've got the energy crisis for Bitcoin, which they are still fighting. Now we have these uh, ransomware attacks. Bitcoin is having some PR troubles, and for me, that's that's where I get a little bit of my fear. Is like, can Bitcoin overcome these PR issues? Because there's a decent amount of the people the people of the world that are you know going after Bitcoin right now that don't care about realities and are just going. Going for narratives, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to be talking about this in the weekly roll-ups. But like the anti-Bitcoin narrative is growing from people who don't care or know about Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll see if that El Salvador news, which is going to be a big topic this mm -hmm. week, is enough to combat that. Okay, let's talk about ETH price. So we're hanging at uh, 2,500 at the time of recording. So we are down on the week. Down. Uh, what? Yeah, what's going on here? Down on the week, the weekly high is just above $2,800. The weekly low is just below $2,400. And we are at the current price of $2,506. Um, flat on the week. So that means that liquidity providers are probably pretty happy because they're generating the, the liquidity <laughs> fees. But people long ETH are probably, you know, again, like kind of antsy. If you're long ETH, you want it to be higher than where it is right now, uh, kind of in the same vein as Bitcoin. Like we are really looking to have some like support and catalyst to really make sure that, you know, this doesn't this whole entire like weekly or two weeks of price action just doesn't break down. Let's look at the greed and fear index again for ETH. So we're not an extreme fear, fear for ETH, according to market sentiment. So again, this analyzes social media channels, all sorts of sentiment indicators, mm -hmm. but we are squarely in the fear zone. That feels about right to mm -hmm. me. I think ETH holders are uh, still doing okay, still feeling good about the gains on the year, but also a bit fearful. Mm -hmm. and the, I think the big question comes out, it's like the question we asked Ledger, hey, what's going to happen next? What do the charts tell us? Are we going back into a bear market? Like, is the bull run over, or um, you know, will Bitcoin drag ETH down? Uh, what's going to happen in the future? That that remains kind of the question. One of one of the possibilities Ledger laid out, which I don't think uh, has been clearly articulated on on Bankless before by guests, is just that. Hey, what if we're just flat mm -hmm. for the entire rest of the year, the whole year? The entirety of 2021 and, and he, that's definitely that, a possibility too and what he said is that if we are flat for the year that hurts because everyone is expecting <laughs> up <laughs> when everyone is expecting up and you get flat that is down from expectations right uh so that's bearish versus expectations and so um it, it seems like it's in the cards and like that being flat is actually causing fear. And that's kind of that's kind of what happens when like you get kind of get used to up and to the right only uh, all of a sudden flat is bearish. Yeah, I, me personally, David, uh, I'm not in that fear zone. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not concerned at all. I'm probably closer to the to the yellow green zone. Mm -hmm. um, I just think even a flat year actually feels uh, feels really good mm -hmm. to me at this mm -hmm. point in time because it clears out a lot of the, the folks who are just here for short-term gains, but it would be a break in the cycle. Like right. crypto hasn't traditionally, um, you know, had such a short bull run and right. then gone back to flat zone before a steady rise up is right. in the way that Ledger was describing. So mm -hmm. we'll have to see how this plays out. If you are long-term on the journey, of course, this doesn't factor in as much to you. The weekly uh, ups and downs don't matter, but let's look at the ratio, ETH to Bitcoin ratio. So what's going on here? 
Yeah, Ryan, if you uh, want to zoom out maybe to the three-month chart, uh, the ratio peaked out. It was climbing really, really steadily up until right before this El Salvador news. Uh, topped out at 0 0.077 when the ETH-BTC ratio high was just a little bit of above 0 0.08. So almost touched the highs that we set uh, a couple months ago. Then the El Salvador news came and, and people uh, in Bitcoin had a pump off of its floor. Now we are down to 0 0.067 ETH BTC, uh, which is still a really healthy number. Uh, and it, I think this indicates uh, the same thing that Ledger was saying. It looks like it's going to range for a while. It looks like it's going to range between 0 0.055 and 0 0.08 for a decent amount of time. Um, and, and depending on, on, you know, how, how much you want to believe me, it looks like it could, it could range for like, like Ledger said, the whole rest of the year. Um, but again, I don't know anything. <laughs> well, we keep uh, referring to that El Salvador news. I promise guys, we're mm -hmm. going to explain that in the news section, what's going on there. Let's talk about DeFi though, really quick while we're on the numbers. So kind of flat again on the total locked value metric in DeFi flat at about 60 billion or so anything Anything to talk about? Yeah, 61 billion locked in DeFi. I think the cool thing to talk about is Aave dominance. Aave has taken the number one spot on locked assets locked in DeFi. Uh, 13.2 billion. Yeah, it used to be Maker as of very recently, but Aave has really sucked in a, a lot of liquidity and, and assets. And some of that is definitely due to their Polygon uh, integration. Uh, assets locked in Aave on Polygon is going up a lot. Yeah, I remember a time, David, when uh, DeFi was concerned that uh, Maker had too much power mm -hmm. and influence and was too almost like getting too big to fail. It used and to have eighty percent. Yeah, eighty percent. Remember, there's like a Maker mm -hmm. dominance mm -hmm. um, sort of index for for a period of time, and now it's uh, hanging out at number two. It's it's still got that that silver medal, but um, wow, the ascent of Ave has been quite a story. I think we'll we'll talk a bit more about that, but let's talk about the DeFi Pulse Index. So once again, these this is an index of the top blue chip, I'd call them uh, DeFi tokens. And we're down on the week uh, by a decent bit. What's mm -hmm. going on here? Yeah, started the week at just above $400. Now we are at 336, which is a pretty decent dip. Yes, DeFi tokens taking, taking a beating. Um, uh, is not recovering as well as Ether recovered. Uh, and this is, I think, where a decent amount of this fear comes from. Like if people, or, or a result of the fear, one of the, one of the two, uh, when people get fearful, they go risk off and they go up the market cap stack into the more secure assets like Bitcoin and Ether. That's why Ether has uh, you know dipped versus Bitcoin. And that's why DeFi tokens have dipped versus Ether. Uh, when people get fearful, they go risk off and they go into you know more safe haven assets. Well, let's see how uh, this is working out for you, David. You made a bottom <laughs> prediction on the DPI to ETH ratio. And oh my God, I don't know if that's held. What, what, what was your absolute bottom prediction? The, the absolute bottom that I'm calling is 0.13. And we are currently at 0.134. <laughs> okay. Except the thing is, like, look at that downtrend. Just like, look at that just straight down and to the right. And it almost tried to break out of it. But no, uh, and right now this downtrend is very much intact. Uh, and so uh, your, your boy might be invalidated pretty damn soon here. We'll see. <laughs> but it was, it was fun while it lasted. It was yeah, fun while it well, lasted. I guess what this means is uh, maybe we get layer two summer, but we might not have a DeFi token summer repeat, hmm. right? We're entering into um, DeFi summertime. La last time 
DeFi tokens were just starting their ascent in June of this time last year. Um, we may not see that repeat in uh, this summer. It could be a chilly summer. Honestly, I don't think anyone knows what the hell happens next. <laughs> <laughs> True. We, we'll have to see. Okay. Um, but let's talk about this. This mm -hmm. story, I think, in the markets really is a story of cool down. Uh, this is Joel John, who gives some takes on this. Maybe we'll go back and forth on a few, mm -hmm. not read them all. But number one is he says, I was intrigued because the seven-day moving average for volume had become, begun declining substantially over the past two weeks. It peaked at 90 billion for daily volume and is currently 44 billion. So he's saying daily exchange, daily volume has peaked and definitely started to uh, to cool off. That's his first take where we're seeing this cool down. Yeah, it, it, it is cooling off from 90 billion, but also if we go back just to two months, the 44 billion like one month two months ago was actually like the new peak right and to some it degree was. like bitcoin We're back ether, to march yeah ether moved really really fast and also yep. ether had the most volume out of any asset in the last like two months uh and so like again like from the peak it dropped off but right like its current level is still really high and honestly i'll say the same thing about ether price the peak four thousand three hundred dollars really high current price of two thousand five hundred dollars comparatively low but if you go back two months still kind of flat right like still good yeah and still definitely above 2017 all-time mm -hmm. highs um let's see the second one david you want to yeah coinbase slipped from the ranking of number two in the app store to number 121 implying that there's a lot less downloads of coinbase which there's a means just intrinsically means that there's a lot less retail demand so that very much falls in line with the dropping in volume it's kind of cool for a brief period of time, Coinbase, the app was bigger than the cash app wow. from Square. That was pretty cool. Now that's back down. Mm -hmm. um, a similar cool off in the number of portfolio apps. So Blockfolio I'm is one. Uh, it surged the last few weeks, but um, Kraken Pro, eToro Crypto, Blockfolio, from an apps perspective, all sort of trending down, mm -hmm. except Blockfolio is, is somewhat up. So that's another interesting marker of what's happening. Yeah, and, and another big marker that I remember being very big in 2017 was uh, daily active follows of uh, exchange accounts, Twitter, Twitter, uh, Twitter exchange accounts. The new number of Twitter followers following exchanges has declined from the height of 546 people joining every single week right now to where it is at 200,000 people following Twitter account, uh, crypto exchange Twitter accounts every single week. Again, indicating a declining interest. I kind of like these social metrics because we don't look at them often, David, mm -hmm. so it's worth looking at. Oh, here's one. This is um, the number of prominent YouTube influencers, crypto influencers. Um, it does not include us. Yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? It includes people like uh, Ivan on Tech, Data, uh, Data Dash, Box Mining, The Moon, Andreas, Legit. Mm -hmm. um, and two others. I don't think we are any of those two others. But anyway, it's gone from a peak of new follows 130K a week to just 36K users each week. So it's definitely declined. The YouTube mm -hmm. influencer traffic has declined as well. well Our numbers that, are Yeah, if, if are we were there, okay. we would be the outlier, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> we don't hit these major numbers that, right. that some of these other so-called influencers They've hit, been around but, from 2017, um, so they have that one up on us. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's different kind of content. Ours right. is sort of uh, less... We don't, yeah. I don't want to slam other. I don't want to slam other influencers, but we're definitely like long-term oriented. Mm. We don't have charts uh, up all the time. Here. We don't have charts up all the time. Uh, okay, 
Let's talk about this though. Mm -hmm. The NFT market bubble has popped. We've got the charts to prove it. So it was sort of like a, uh, th this, these charts are saying a near 90% collapse in NFT sales. And I think it was saying that, look, the NFT bubble is three to four months mm -hmm. long and now it's crashed. What do you think about this take? Well, uh, we do know that there were a bunch of terrible NFTs that were getting sold. And so to some degree, like we kind of need some, some quality to return to NFTs and some Wait, low quality. You, you, didn't, you, you didn't buy any of the Lindsay Lohan no, NFTs, man? No, I did uh. not. No, I did not. <laughs> um, and like, you know, uh, CryptoPunks, which are still like I would consider quality NFTs, were going for an insane exorbitant amount of money. Um, but I would like to say that the take here is while volume is coming down, Perhaps, perhaps again, a return to a new mean, setting a new floor. Um, but I was talking to, to Jamis from PleaserDAO, who is very big in NFTs and very focused. And he's very, uh, you know, connected with all the uh, NFT issuing platforms and all the just very much into the details of what's going on behind the scenes in F NFTs. And he says that the amount of innovation and development and competition between nft issuing platforms is absolutely insane and so this is very much a if you look at the charts it's an nft bear market but if you look at the development it's an, a development bull market with nfts uh and that's kind of the story of crypto like per, development doesn't happen when there when there's retail mania yeah i think it's great look uh unquestionably nfts are here to stay i also think it's healthy like this is sort of a um a, a sector bubble mm -hmm. in crypto that peaked retail mania and then collapsed, but didn't take the rest of crypto mm -hmm. with it, right? So mm -hmm. maybe this is evidence for sort of that super cycle theory mm -hmm. where different sectors in crypto sort of go up and down and have their own manias and collapse. But um, we obviously haven't seen a secular bear market 90% sell-off in other crypto assets. And yeah, as you said, like, the bear time is when builders build. It's mm -hmm. kind of the best time to be involved. So if you were intrigued by NFTs, I would say now is mm -hmm. the time to actually go start mm -hmm. maybe buying them, maybe seeing what's going on, maybe starting to build things. Mm -hmm. Definitely build your, your network in the space because um, the mania has left and now is the time to do it. Bear markets are where wealth is created. You find your right, you're the correct position in bear markets and then you eat your ramen and then you wait <laughs> and then when it finally comes your turn like you're well positioned position yourself during the bear market is absolutely david mm -hmm. all right um this is kind of cool eth had the highest trading volume of any crypto assets across all the major not decentralized exchanges but centralized exchanges in the month of may reserve asset for crypto question mark this is coinbase number one overtook mm -hmm. bitcoin uh, Binance, same story, just barely over Bitcoin, but mm -hmm. still, um, uh, Huobi trading volume, ETH was number one, FTX, ETH was number one, actually pretty impressive Very to impressive. see the strength of ETH volume on centralized exchanges. And so sort of calls into question, like there was sort of, um, a maximalist take that Bitcoin would always be the reserve asset for crypto and always be the dominant, most liquid trading pair. And we're just not seeing that now, whether may, whether mm -hmm. ETH can kind of hold that into the future right. is sort of the question, right? So I will say there was a period of time where Doge was actually crushing Bitcoin <laughs> on some of this, right? So one month doesn't really right. change the situation very much. It does point to some strengths, but we'll see from a long-term perspective, 
how this trading volume um, plays out. It's important for Ether to be on the board. So like, you know, one month uh, is what Ether's got under its belt as the leader in trading volumes. And, you know, it didn't have that before. Uh, next up, one year. How, how many months will it take until one year of Ether trading dominance over Bitcoin? Uh, we right. will find out. Right. Um, okay. This is really cool, David. Mm -hmm. um, let, me, let me blow this up. This is from our, our friends at Token Terminal. This is a visualization of daily borrow, borrowing volumes from the leading lending protocols last year. Do you see this? It's right. kind of a horse race between Compound, Maker, Aave, and uh, a few other centrifuge and others. Look at Compound. Ooh, during, Compound's just taken off. Crushing it, right? Mm -hmm. This is after DeFi summer. Wait, um, Aave's coming up. There's Aave. Yeah, Ooh, there's Aave. wow. <laughs> Look at that volume. Holy right? crap. That's crazy. So I don't, what happened near the end there? Like uh, what, what happened the last two months to cause that? Yeah, like, what, what was yeah? What else. was the what was month was that? Um, let's see. That was like April and May of twenty twenty one. April May twenty. Market volatility, man. Market volatility. Market volatility. Mm -hmm. Aave's doing something different. Um, well, Aave integrated on Polygon. Uh, this is layered. Aave v two came. Aave AM, AMM markets. Yeah. I do think um, back to a theme we've been talking about, David is. Um, as you're value, as people are evaluating DeFi protocols, I'm doing this myself. It's like you have to evaluate what their layer two strategy is mm -hmm. right now, because that's where a lot of the the growth is going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and Aave has just been, I think, has a very solid layer two strategy. Compound is doing their own independent chain, right? Which is interesting. Um, I'm not sure what their plans are to expand into right. like. We haven't heard ups. much about that. Haven't heard much about it. The other, the uh, other thing that differentiates Ave from Compound, and I think why Ave just like jumped at the very end, is like Ave's got all the tokens, and uh, tokens did very, very well in April and May. Right. True. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, we're going to be back with the releases, but before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, 
Gemini Urn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the releases in crypto last week. The first one we want to talk about is Arbitrum stuff, layer two summer stuff, Uniswap now deployed on Arbitrum. Wow, that was fast. Community mm -hmm. voted for it. They deployed it a few days. Arbitrum, of course, not open. They haven't cut the red ticker tape and opened it to their theme park to guess. But Uniswap is deployed and apparently works on Arbitrum. Kind of cool. Wait, so is it Arbitrum that is preventing users from coming or is it Uniswap that's preventing users from coming? I think it's Uniswap. Uh, so I thought it was Arbitrum. I thought that um, Arbitrum wanted to wait until they had some rides in their theme park okay. that wouldn't chop people's heads off. Um, <laughs> and they said it was more social coordination mm -hmm. rather than like, so like the infrastructure of getting a block explorer up and going and getting MetaMask integrated and right. getting... Chainlink on so that you could power whatever feeds that a DeFi protocol needs. I think they were waiting for some of that to come into place and then they were going to open it. And not all the rides would be open at that point in time, but at least it would be, there would be enough there for mm -hmm. users to start. So I think that was kind of the dependency, but I could be wrong. We no, should, I think we that makes sense because again. Uniswap is talking about, you know, how developers with whitelisted addresses can, uh, can use Oh, here it. you go. Yeah. Uh, Yep. Okay. I uh, guess it doesn't say it who. doesn't. Is it doesn't really specify. But I think if if we're talking about whitelisted addresses, like who's in control of that? Arbitrum's in control of that. Uh, so so that makes sense. Um, and also it also makes sense because you know they want to establish some sort of credible neutrality. Uh, and so I think white or like allowing whitelisted addresses only, which are developers, like basically developers only. Yeah. I think everyone gets to like have their here. You have your slotted amount of time to build your stuff. So you don't yeah. have to have this rat race. Like you don't have to be, you don't like sushi would just win that race because they just integrate like crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I, th I think they must be giving some sort of like grace periods. Like, all right, you have this amount of time to like build your apps and then we're going to, you know, literally cut the red tape and I'm so have bullish. I, mm -hmm. Look, I think this is cool because Uniswap V3 is, is awesome. It's, it's yeah. really great. Mm -hmm. And, um, they haven't yet expanded to a roll up yet. So mm -hmm. they've let, um, automated market makers like quick, is it quick swap, quick, quick swap, swap on Polygon mm -hmm. kind of dominate right, right. now. Mm -hmm. And it's because Uniswap has decided not to enter Polygon. Why? Because Polygon does not have the same economic um, assurances as a rollup like Arbitrum. But now they're in the ring and they're going into layer two. And so I, I'm super curious to see how the automated market maker mm -hmm. money robots all fight for liquidity and mm -hmm. like fight each other. And the, we're the beneficiaries, of course, but it's going to be cool to watch. And Uniswap V3 is a very high touch AMM, right? Like concentrated yes. liquidity makes you like, you need to like be on the, on the ball with like how you, how you choose to LP and having that on the main chain with gas fees and like long block times really hinders that. And I expect the Uniswap V3, which is already, so, look, it's supposed to be a very fierce competition. That yeah. competition just gets more fierce when you have like almost instant block times and almost free transactions. Yeah, and it's it's great to be able to play with it without mm -hmm. like having to worry about really high gas fees. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Arbitrum humming along. 
Um, they Arbitrum is hiring. That's in their their uh, Twitter header. But I think they're also excited to announce that Graph Protocol mm -hmm. is now offering hosted services on Arbitrum One. We did a great episode with the Graph. They they provide a lot of the sort of the the data mm -hmm. indexing infrastructure to all of these chain link protocols. for the inside. Yeah, it's it's kind of basically that. So the Graph Protocol is there now too, set up in the theme park. Um, David, we should talk about uh, as long as we were talking about Uniswap V three. A fantastic Uniswap mm -hmm. V3 calculator mm -hmm. came out, and I've looked at this. It's it's I haven't spent enough time with it, but it seems super useful. I think we should just spend a few minutes like Tinkering. walking through what this is. This is from Flipside Crypto, but if you were curious about um, how much money you can expect to make, like a model for how much you can expect to make as a liquidity provider in Uniswap V3, how this works, because as you said, David, it is more complicated mm -hmm. this calculator is a great way to model it so what dials should i set here well, like what would be a good demo of this yeah let, let's so we are looking at the usdc to ether pool at specifically the 0.05 percent uh, fee there's also the same pool but with 0.3 percent and that liquidity is different um, but it looks to be that the dominant pool for ether to usdc is the 0.05 percent fee so let's let's keep us there ryan uh okay. let's go ahead and put one thousand dollars i don't know why it starts at seven 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 let's put one thousand dollars in uh and the, I think that this liquidity positions graph right on the right here, uh, that is, I think, something that we as an industry and as a globe will look at until the end of time because this graph tells you where the liquidity is. And it, also this, dot, this dashed line is where the price is. All of the green is where the liquidity is. Uh, and this is this is where we are playing. This is the game. People that have their liquidity positioned under the line are winning. And look at all that all the people that have that spike of liquidity. At, I, I, it's kind of hard to eyeball this price, but I think it's like at two thousand five hundred dollars to two thousand like six hundred dollars ish. Right that's now, ETH price. ETH, yeah, yeah, that's ETH price. Right now, Ether is dipping at two thousand four hundred eighty-two dollars. There's a lot of people who position their liquidity at above this price, and so the people that are positioning the liquidity at below that big range where everyone else is are getting out sort like an outsized amount of fees um, because they they are where the liquidity is inside of the bands uh, and so Ryan on the left here you have a uh, the, the uh, according to this website you have a band a liquidity providing band of concentrated liquidity between $2255 and $2918 so that means that if you deposit your, your liquidity here you think that there's going to be a large amount of time that ether is going to spend between these bands but if you if you had a conviction that uh, the ETH price was going to stay at an even narrower band, you could drop that 2,900 price. Let's say we're bearish. I think we had just the most bearish uh, weekly roll-up uh, market section that we ever had. So let's drop <laughs> let's drop that top price down. Let's go down to 2,500 dollars, uh, which is right above where it is right now. And then let's and just and just to be clear, David, what we're talking about with this liquidity band is mm -hmm. the $1,000 that we have in the top here. Mm -hmm. um, we're only providing that $1,000 worth of liquidity, and this is USDC, mm -hmm. for that band mm -hmm. of ETH price. So if it goes outside of that band, if ETH goes above $2,515, which is the top of the band that I have right now, mm -hmm. if it's uh, you know $2,600, for instance, as a liquidity provider, with my $1,000 is not making anything yes. no transaction fees for that and you have it all in ether 
and I have it all in ether. Right, because the ether price is north of your band, and so you have sold all of your dollars for ether. You have bought the dip. Ah, that's mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of forces you to buy the dip if mm -hmm. it goes outside of your band. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, uh, let's say, I don't think ether price is going down below $2,300. So let's raise that band from 2,250 up to 2,300. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the other cool thing is look at that prices the last five days. And so according to the band that we have, you can see that green highlighted zone and you can see like retroactively what ETH price has done in the last five days. And you can see how much, um, how much of your band ether has been in historically in the last five days now ether price has largely been north of this band the last five days so if we have a band right now between 2300 and 2500 that means that we are bearish ether in in comparatively to the last five days and also going back to that liquidity positions in the top right um you can see that highlight and lighted band of where everyone else has put their liquidity and that's also where you have put your liquidity and that dash line is inside of that band and so using these parameters that we have uh, put in uh, we have a price assumption of four two thousand four hundred ninety dollars uh, this website uh, defaults to the current eth price and then we've also selected a band of between $2,300 and $2,500. With an investment of $1,000, we are making roughly $10 every 24 hours while Ether is inside of this band. And so annualized, that is 336% annualized. And so if Ether spends its entire uh, one year time between these two prices, 2,300 to $2,500, $1,000 will net you 360% over one year. Uh, and that's just the takeaway here. Like, I don't expect Ether to stay within this band for the whole entire time. That would be like, as an LP, that would be just like, a complete W, like massive win for you, unlikely. Um, but this is just a very fun website to tinker with Uniswap LP positions uh, and really just get a grip on what it means to LP and Uniswap V3. And so if you are still trying to wrap your head around Uniswap V3, I would recommend just come to this website and just play around. It's good practice. It's good modeling. It gets a, It's a good way to comprehend what's going on here. Totally. Uh, it has the other pairs too. So if the impermanent loss USDC to ETH kind of scares you, or is this another factor to consider? Do something like die to USDC, mm -hmm. right? With a 5% and see what your $1,000 would do there with a band. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure I fully understood kind of how to, how to model this mm -hmm. and how to enter into Uniswap positions before this, this website and this tool. So super handy guys. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely check that out. David, let's talk about another automated market maker with a release this week. This is Curve Finance. So they just put together a volatility algorithm mm -hmm. and they deployed it on both Ethereum and Polygon, interestingly enough. What is going on here? Yeah, so this is Curve's response to Uniswap V3. Uh, and so from this, if you go into the white paper, the white paper is like only like three pages long but it's got some like crazy math algorithms in it that make my head explode. Uh, but what I've tried to gather is that this is uh, the a similar thing to concentrated liquidity in Uniswap, but with Curve, it's a variable curve according to an algorithm. Uh, and so Curve, Curve is stepping into the concentrated liquidity game with their own specific um, with their own specific strategies. Uh, and kind of the, the TLDR I've got is that this is really good when prices range, 
but uh, this curve is not less optimized for price discovery. That's like the TLDR that I heard. However, that's also the same TLDR as Uniswap V3 and concentrated liquidity at large. Uh, and so basically the, the TLDR here is that, you know, there are multiple strategies to try and create concentrated liquidity. And when everyone uh, understood and got, got their heads wrapped around uh, Uniswap V3, they were like, oh, it's the curve killer. Well, you know, don't discount Curve DeFi. Is adapting. Don't discount DeFi innovation, right? Like Curve's got a, yeah. got some cards up its sleeve. This is why I go back to Ribbot Wars, David. Like, you know, the Uniswap Ribbot just added a buzzsaw, mm -hmm. and now Curve is getting its own buzzsaw. So can <laughs> like, I love it. Battle bots. I love it. Battle bots. Battle bots. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it's like that's what's happening in real time here. And again, what do we get out of it? more efficient uh capital markets mm -hmm. like and this is what we always say it's like this ecosystem in DeFi is so darwinian mm -hmm. it's so brutal crucible. from a, a liquidity crucible. perspective it's a crucible right and it's all adapting and evolving these organisms exist in a different planet versus traditional finance but once these two civilizations meet mm -hmm. oh my god right <laughs> we have these highly adapted mm -hmm. like robot organisms meeting traditional finance and the old traditional finance civilization does not have a chance against these sci-fi weapons um and that's what's being built here dude it's battle crazy. bots that's such a great meme <laughs> it is battle bots all right let's talk polygon so polygon is is kind of cool i think because it shows it's it's almost like a a cookie cutter of what we think is going to play out with all of these other layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism. And you can kind of see how it's evolving, how all of the DeFi tools are being added. So what's this first one? What's Polyscan, David? Yeah, Polyscan is just the Polygon version of Etherscan. Everyone loves Etherscan. It's, ugh, God, it's it's straight up God's gift to the earth. Oh, he's there. Uh-oh. Well, oh, that's, that's, just that's, that's the blog. Uh, yeah. yeah it's a blog um, so yeah, polyscan.com. If you want a Etherscan fork, I guess, of for Polygon. Uh, and so if you've been having trouble like interpreting your transactions with the uh, Polygon Block Explorer, uh, now there's something much more similar to poly uh, Etherscan. But wait, with is Polygon. this from the Etherscan people? Uh, it. I mean, it looks like it. I. Do, I don't like. I mean, we also had Binance Smart Chain scan, right? And and I'm definitely that was definitely like made by. Um, yeah, Binance, Binance. Uh, so I yeah. actually don't know. Um, either way, Super very cool. happy about it. Except for the fact that they didn't call it Polyscan. Polyscan is better than Polygon Scan. Yeah, Polyscan. Come on, guys. Missed Polyscan. opportunity. They probably couldn't get the .com. That's why. Mm. Um, let's talk about this. Another Polygon ecosystem thing. Hop Protocol uh, has deployed. Well, they already were deployed on mm -hmm. Polygon. But what's this? Polygon to Ethereum withdrawal in a minute and 30 seconds mm -hmm. instead of three hours. So this is a different bridge. We're talking to the Arbitrum guys about all of the different bridges to side chains and, and layer twos, that sort of thing. This is kind of a hop is providing an alternate way to access mm -hmm. Polygon. It's faster. Yeah, so this is all about LPing on both sides of the L2, right? If uh, it takes you uh, maybe sometimes as much as an hour or even longer to get off of Polygon, getting onto Polygon is pretty quick. It takes about 10 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. But Hop Protocol is boasting 1.5 minute transfer times. And the, re the way that they do that is they have LPs, liquidity providers, providing you uh, the assets that you have and the assets that you want on both sides of the chain. Uh, and so you basically sell your assets to the hop LPR on the ether on the Ethereum side, and then the uh, poly the hop protocol LPR sells you the same assets on the Polygon side minus a small fee. 
not only that, not only is it an L2, L1, you know, ramp, but it's also L2 to L2, right? So polygon to arbitrum, arbitrum to optimism, optimism to polygon. Uh, and, uh, and this is kind of where a lot of like the user UX issues gets really, it gets solved by kind of like this mesh network of, you know, L2s to L1s to other L2s. Fun fact, uh, Connext is also uh, tinkering in this space with their, their payment channels. And they set up a bridge and they just take a toll on mm -hmm. that bridge. So there's yep. a small cost. Not toll too bridge. bad here. It looks like, um, uh, you know, for $50, about 50 cents in transaction fees. So not, not, bad at all. not too bad. And hopefully it gets more competitive. Mm -hmm. Another bridge that's being built to Polygon, which again, we expect to play out in layer two uh, summer to all of the other layer twos, um, is chain, uh, is exchanges, rather mm -hmm. crypto banks providing a fiat on-ramp, another mm -hmm. bridge, a fiat ramp directly into these ecosystems. This is OKX, a decent-sized decent exchange, not a mm -hmm. nobody, yeah. has introduced a way to deposit assets directly from their centralized exchange to Polygon. You could withdraw 23 assets, uh, no wait time. Mm -hmm. So that's super cool. Not just stable coins, but 23 assets. And this is awesome for a number of reasons. This just goes to illustrate that you are probably moving, everyone listening probably is moving to an L2. We're all packing our bags. We're moving out of Manhattan. It's too, it's too con congested. We're moving to an L2. And some people aren't even starting in Manhattan. They're coming and living in a Manhattan suburb, which is an yep. L2, from the get-go. Right, and so OKX is building a highway straight to a suburb on Ethereum, uh, an L2, and you don't even have to go through Manhattan to do it. Uh, and I, I think OKX is doing a great job pioneering this. Uh, other exchanges, let's get this ball rolling. Come on, guys! Like people want to be on in the suburbs. Suburbs are hot right now. Uh, I think they're absolutely going to, David. Only mm -hmm. a matter of time. I like with all this layer two stuff going on. I find it. I don't care what, what's happening with the price. I find it so difficult mm -hmm. to be bearish. Right. By the way, we've got a layer two, we've got EIP 1559, we've got um, ETH staking in full effect in the merge. So hard to be bearish. That's exactly right. Let's talk about matcha. We're not so even done. Is... We're not even We're done not even talking done. about L2s. Matcha, matcha users can now trade tokens on Polygon. I use matcha as kind of my main exchange of, of choice. It's on an aggregator. The right? It's an aggregator. Great. Uh, uses a 0x protocol. Uh, and now it's on matcha. Or excuse me, now it's on Polygon. Uh, and so, you know, an app now also moving to Polygon, specifically a 0x zero, zero app. Uh, and so this is the 0x, the if you, I guess you can call it a DAO, uh, is now also on Polygon. Yeah, super cool. So once again, guys, we've got a block explorer. We've got uh, chain to chain bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got fiat to layer two and side chain bridges. And we've got aggregators mm -hmm. all active inside of networks. And what's going to happen is the same thing that just happened with Polygon is this ecosystem is, is building and thriving. That's going to play out in these other layer twos mm -hmm. as well. That's what's so exciting. We're going to have a lot of additional real estate for Ethereum transactions and matcha wasn't even the first aggregator on polygon <laughs> slingshot was dude it's it's all happening so mm -hmm. fast all mm -hmm. right let's get to the news david we got to start with the big news item which is we talked about it in markets el salvador el salvador is recognizing and this law just passed um th through their legislative system mm -hmm. recognizing bitcoin as legal tender inside of their country here's the actual law that mm -hmm. i've got pulled up this is a translation into english uh what's happening here 
Is this a big deal? So quick history lesson of El Salvador. Uh, El Salvador had its own money from uh, 1892 all the way to 2001. And then it decided to dollarize and it accepted the US dollar as the native currency of El Salvador. And now El Salvador is also adding Bitcoin as the native currency of El Salvador, the officially accepted legal tender. Uh, and so that means that uh, businesses have to accept Bitcoin as a currency in El Salvador. And uh, for, for businesses that don't necessarily want to accept Bitcoin uh, and, and kind of just want dollars, uh, El Salvador claims that they are offering just like kind of instant swap feature using the mm -hmm. Lightning Network. Uh, and so <laughs> merchants are paid with the Lightning Network and then it goes to an automatic dollar exchange that is government run. Uh, and, and so like there's a, this is a huge win for Bitcoiners. Uh, Nick Carter called this using Bitcoin in its intended way. Uh, and Bitcoiners are just up in arms about this. They are uh, so incredibly stoked. It's extreme validation. A whole entire country has Bitcoin as its native currency with Lightning Network adoption. Uh, and so I think this is going to be the time where like Bitcoin makes or breaks it, right? Like does Bitcoin work as a native currency for an entire country? Can it execute on that? Will that work? And we're about to find out. Yeah, I think there's a lot of takes here. So like I um I'm bullish on this, but I also have some reservations, mm -hmm. I would say. But like even with the reservations, I think no one how no matter how you feel about this, no one can discount the fact that this is an absolutely historical moment. Like if we're talking about the the history of monies, every historical timeline in the textbooks is going to include june 2021 mm -hmm. the date that the first country recognized a cryptocurrency as legal tender so whatever you think about this uh whether you think like well maybe this is kind of coercive or whether you're super bullish and excited and this is bitcoin's intended purpose you have to recognize that this is legitimacy of cryptocurrency on the world stage at a whole nother level. I know El Salvador is a, a small country, but um, this could also be a leader for Central American countries. Um, you know, Mexico is talking about incorporating this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there Brazil even there's there's rumors like Central America, South American countries might follow their lead. And for a country to stand up and uh, say this, and a major politician to get behind it, I think it's pretty historic. Um, but let, can we talk a little bit about more about this? Like, mm -hmm. so. Um, what, what is actually happening here? Kate, Caitlin Long had sort of a thread of what what this would mean if El Salvador adopts Bitcoin as legal tender. And she said, this is a, this is a really big deal for a few reasons. Um, one is it would make Bitcoin likely get a status as money. So treated on par with foreign currency by banks. And I'm not sure if this extends into sort of international recognition, David. Mm -hmm. um, but she said it could possibly get cash accounting treatment under, and she names a treaty that I don't know much about. Um, but I think this kind of enters Bitcoin into the world stage cryptocurrency discussion. That's one of the reasons Bitcoiners are excited about it. What are some other reasons here? Yeah. So having Bitcoin as a currency status, a legal tender, what that does for people living in El Salvador, you don't have to pay capital gains tax on your Bitcoin because it's money. 
It's like it's like no one pays capital gains tax on the dollar because the dollar's money inside the United or States. Or euros. Or euros, right? Or yen. Like, you don't pay capital gains on money. That's nonsensical. All of a sudden, Bitcoin gets that same treatment inside of El Salvador. And so El Salvadorian citizens, if Bitcoin goes to $300,000, then they don't pay any taxes on that uh, as a capital gains. And so that's really attractive to a lot of Bitcoiners. Um, the El Salvadorian president said, you know, no capital gains tax on Bitcoiners, permanent residence for crypto entrepreneurs. And so this is also a strategy to attract Bitcoiners. Uh, and, and a lot of Bitcoiners have uh, Max Kaiser, uh, who's that crazy Bitcoiner that was like, you know, we're not selling F Elon Musk, that guy, uh, purchased uh, purchased real estate in El Salvador. Turns out that was actually a mistake. He got the address wrong and it was actually in a different country, but that's a, just, that's a separate, that's a separate <laughs> oh story. God. Yeah, he, he really effed that one up. But the point is, is that Bitcoiners are now interested in moving to El Salvador as yeah. like a safe haven for their Bitcoin. Uh, and, P and Bitcoiners who tend to hold Bitcoin and hold it for the long term probably have a lot of capital gains tax that they probably want to not have to worry about in the future. And so it's really enticing to go live in a place that accepts Bitcoin as currency. And so there's a big like push in the same way that like Malta and Gibraltar and all, all these other like, you know, Singapore, all these other crypto safe havens, like El Salvador is raising their hands like, yo, crypto safe haven over here. Yeah, I think like the big win for Bitcoin is is legitimacy because mm -hmm. this it's not the case that El Salvador has um, launched a plan to purchase a massive amount of Bitcoin mm -hmm. for its uh, central bank reserves, right? Correct. Like they mm -hmm. haven't done that at this point in time. Right. It's really just saying like, hey, we've got the dollar, and now we also have Bitcoin as as legal tender. The language though of legal tender is is somewhat interesting, David, because this goes to into kind of maybe some of the pushback here, right, from the crypto community. Um, and I think it's, which number is it here? That, that I, think, I think number uh, seven is the one you want. Number seven, Article 7. So Article 7 in the actual Bitcoin law that would go into effect, this is a translation from Spanish, every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whomever acquires a good or a service. Right. So this is sort of coercion by the state. Well, and that's this, like what this is a normal legal tender law. This is which status, is coercion by the state, right? Yeah, which is coercion by the state, <laughs> right? Uh, and you like, have to, you, you have, have no to, choice, right? Uh, and and you know uh, the president of El Salvador has Bitcoin laser eyes, and if you listen to we 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 have to talk about the Twitter spaces that happened, um, but the guy's a straight up Bitcoiner, right? He's a straight up Bitcoiner. And he like, looks like a Bitcoin lo bro. Quack, I mean, quacks like the... a Bitcoiner, walks like a Bitcoiner, <laughs> uh, and and like the the bearish take, the critical take is that this is a Bitcoiner who happens to also be the president of El Salvador, who's imposing Bitcoin upon an entire country. To like, pump his own bags, maybe? To, yeah, well, that's that's the critical take. That's the critical take. Uh, and, you know, Bitcoiners are very happy about this, about, you know, legal tender laws of a nation state. To me, in Ethereum and tokens on Ethereum, it's about maximizing choice. And yeah. citizens of El, Sal El Salvador now have a choice between the US dollar and Bitcoin. So they get one more choice. But still, it's not in the complete ethos of cryptocurrency to say, I like, agree. congrats. Like, I, I was listening to um, a guy's, guy's Take, which is the Bitcoin Audible uh, uh, podcast, and he's reading an article, and he goes, and the first, like, literally the first 15 to, to 30 seconds of the article is all about how nation states impose their fiat currencies on you and that's evil and now yes. we're doing it but now we're doing it with bitcoin and now it's okay because it's bitcoin because it pumps our bags well and and to be fair not all bitcoiners mm -hmm. are are pro this right. particular 
article mm-hmm. in the laws. Like, so Eric Voorhees has spoken up against right. it. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is not the values of Bitcoin. This is not um, the values of opt-in anti-coercion. This mm-hmm. is not why we're here. Um, but overall, I'd say the Bitcoin community is is pretty excited about it. And right. I actually don't know much about the um, El Salvador's president. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he is definitely a populist. Uh, some might call him he has massive support, but some might call him like veering the direction of sort of populist authoritarian, authoritarian yep. as well, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I don't know. I mean, is that what we want for Bitcoin adoption? Yet this is very much the formula from the Bitcoin standard. Like if you read that book, David, and I know you have, mm-hmm. uh, Safadine Amous is just like, this is kind of what Bitcoiners want to happen in order mm-hmm. to get to a state of hyper Bitcoinization. Mm-hmm. And I think that they would argue that, um, hey, at least if, if you have two choices in El Salvador for your people, you've got the dollar, which can be inflated by basically elite baby boomers in the US at a whim, money printed. Uh, and then you've got Bitcoin, which is resistant to that level of inflation. Then it's better for Bitcoin to be sort of the, the standard mm-hmm. in that country. And that is a, uh, that, that leads to a better, more free world. I'm not sure I'm, I'm sold on that vision though, I've got to say. And then there's also like the implementation of it, which um, you talked about like Lightning Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, this Lightning Network asset just, t- asset test. just hasn't worked. Like largely its adoption has been, and state channels haven't worked in Ethereum to be fair. It's the same tech. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be a test. And part of me wonders, it's just like, you know, if you wanted, if you wanted to give the El Salvadorian people a financial system in a box, why not just do stable coins? Mm -hmm. US dollars are already part of your legal tender laws. Why not just do like roll up or side chain with, US dollar stable coins mm-hmm. and give everyone access to that. You could totally bypass and like upgrade your banking system uh, just like just like that. But no, it's Bitcoin instead. Well, it'll, it'll be an interesting exploration as to whether like, hey, what about WBTC on an Arbitrum <laughs> roll up, right? Like, is that Bitcoin? Like it is, it, right? I, I think it's Bitcoin, uh, you know, count it. Like, why wouldn't we count that? Uh, and so maybe that is if, if that conversation happens, I will be tuning into that. I do want to cross across some T's and dot some I's. Ryan, if you go to the next page, um, yep. just to just to be accurate reporters. Uh, let's see. What does it say? <laughs> are we reporters? Are, yeah, reporters? Right now we are. Yeah. Article 12. Okay. <laughs> those who, by evident and notorious fact, do not have access to the technologies that allow them to carry out transactions in Bitcoin are excluded from the obligation expressed in Article 7, right? So if you are an individual in El Salvador and you don't have the means to accept Bitcoin, you don't, you aren't forced to accept Bitcoin. So that's a nice clause. Uh, if I was just super nitpicky, I would say like, don't write a coercion law and then write a uh, an exception. Just don't write the coercion law. Yeah, in uh, the first place. In the first but, place, but, yeah. But again, the argument is that's what legal tender laws are. That's what, yeah, what this else is, is also true. What else is the state going to do? Yeah, also, that's also true. Uh, is the go- state going to put out a pre- press release that just says, hey, please everyone adopt Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. No, they're going to be like, hey, this is now legal tender and you you have to mm-hmm. if you can. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, an article that is called, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher his name, but Nieb Bukli's Power Grab in El Salvador. If you look into the history of this man, 
he's not necessarily the best representative of a leader. Um, His picture doesn't look great. This, yeah, that, yeah, right. Uh, and so uh, apparently he, there. So you, readers need to fact check me on this, but uh, um, he, there was a, a bill that was going through Congress, and and it was he he wanted it, and it was losing, and he threw in the military and forced Congress to vote for this bill. Um, I'm I'm just c- coming to like get into what El Salvador history is. Um, I think we should be uh, cautious. And we should all, as a community and as an industry, research who this person is. And that's, that's basically me telling me this because I need to read more to fully <laughs> understand this. I just want people to kind of pump the brakes before we pull, put our full weight and steam behind El Salvador. Well, this is, this is the thing, David. It's just like this is where I get a little um, worried, mm-hmm. I, I would say, about where we're going with things um, is – is it the case? Sometimes it feels the case that the crypto community, and I'll narrow in on the Bitcoin community for, for a minute, uh, they're happy to accept anybody mm-hmm. that pumps their bags yeah. and gets them to the end yep. state of hyper Bitcoinization, mm-hmm. right? So, like, part of me wonders if, like, despots like Kim, Kim Jong Un mm-hmm. adopted Bitcoin, if they like wouldn't be celebrating that, right. or if factions wouldn't right. be celebrating that, right? Like. Um, I think that there are principles that are and values that are much deeper, right? And this this goes back to maybe the our, our next conversation about the the Bitcoin conference and kind of your experience there and what you saw there. But mm-hmm. there were panels um, about toxic Bitcoin maximalism and, and how it's good. The argument was it was good. There was a the clip that I saw where somebody said, "If you're against toxic Bitcoin maximalism, you're against freedom." Mm-hmm. Followed by cheers well, from the so audience. So f- first, if you're against toxic maximalism, you're against Bitcoin, and if you're against Bitcoin, therefore you're against freedom. Ah, it's that Which, link. It's that bridge, right? right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so this is what um, Bitcoin this, is fundamentally good, and it doesn't matter who accepts it because the means to an end. It, it's it's so incredibly good that it doesn't matter how it gets adopted. See that that is so concerning to me, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. like there's another layer beneath Bitcoin, which mm-hmm. is the values layer, right? And that is the thing that if you're going to be maximalist about something, you should be maximalist about values that you really yep. care about. To the extent they're instantiated in Bitcoin, okay, but to the extent that they're not, don't be a Bitcoin supporter, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that why we're here? Um, I I feel like there's some loss of plot going on here. Yep. Now, I'm not saying again. This is like. This is good news for crypto legitimacy. It's absolutely historic, but this is also the reason, personally, I feel uh, cautious and not (laughs) super excited. I'm I'm not completely ready to throw my weight behind this. Again, I think the legacy of this story will be a massive acid test for Bitcoin. Is the Lightning Network real? Can it be used? Is do people of a third world country actually want Bitcoin? We're about to get some really important answers to really important questions. There was a, um, wasn't there like a, a meeting, a chat? Where was the chat with like the actual president of El Salvador? Oh, on Twitter I Spaces. All of this. Yeah, it was on Twitter Spaces. Yeah, so Nick Carter just spun up at Twitter Spaces as he does normal normal times, and the El Salvadorian president showed up the guy promoting this bill the guy with this the bitcoin laser wild. eyes and so the other the other through line here this is such, this, this this story has so many layers is 
ultimately it got out that the El Salvadorian president was in there and he was in there because he was in Congress at the time that the bill was being voted on. And when it came time for the bill to get, it was approved almost overwhelmingly. I, I don't know the numbers, but it was like three or four to one yeses versus noes. And he put the, he put his micro, his phone up to the audience applause of the applause of the bill getting passed, which is really cool. And you know and how many- on Twitter spaces? This is on Twitter spaces. And you know how many people were in Twitter spaces at the at the peak over no. 20,000 and and uh, NLW had a really good take about this is that this is the this this event this monumental event was broadcasted on Twitter spaces directly I was listening in on this I was there I, I was I was a part of the 20,000 people listening to history and the reporters that were also in there reported on it the next day but the people that were already in Twitter spaces they already knew everything that the reporters were reporting on because they were there it's a huge democratizing like news event because it happened in Twitter spaces well that's cool like it's okay really cool. so Another layer to that, though, mm -hmm. which is interesting, is like um, there's no there's no nation state diplomats mm -hmm. that are negotiating this, mm -hmm. right? So like you'd expect the dollarization of El Salvador, it might have representatives from the U.S. Mm -hmm. that are cheering this on or negotiating with El Salvador and and its government, but here you've got like Bitcoin or Twitter influencers mm -hmm. who are are almost like the ambassadors, right? Diplomats. Bitcoin. Right. Diplomats of Bitcoin mm -hmm. interacting with the leader of a nation state. Mm -hmm. That's bizarre and wild, right. too. Mm hmm. And, and there, there's so many more things to talk about, right? Uh, you know, Anthony Pompliano reached out and, and when he had his time in the, in the Twitter space and said, hey, Mr. El Salvadorian president, how can the Bitcoin community help you? Right. Like, how can we help you? We want to help you. Obviously, Bitcoiners want to help you. And the, the, the other topic of conversation is volcano mining inside of El Salvador, they have a volcano that spits out heat. And so they use that for steam energy. Uh, and so now we can, uh, you, you can press uh, command minus a few times, Ryan, I think that will help scale out that video. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, and so El Salvador could potentially mine Bitcoin with free energy from, from the volcano mine, which is really going to the conversation of like, not only is Bitcoin green, but it actually allows for more energy extraction. This is exactly the Bitcoiner narrative that they've been talking about. David, I feel like I want to let this one settle before mm -hmm. I uh, figure out how I feel about it. Right. But um, we're going to have Nick Carter on State of the Nation mm -hmm. next Tuesday and get a digest from him. And I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation. Right. So that's next Tuesday. I think, is it regular State of the Nation regular time? State of the Nation, 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST. We're going to live stream that. So if you're mm -hmm. interested in this story and Nick's take, who's been on the ground mm -hmm. from day one. He started um, the Twitter space. He started the Twitter space, a Bitcoiner's take on this, and probably the bullish case for this, then listen into that conversation too. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, a lot. But look, Dope. El Salvador is huge news. It's mm -hmm. historic, guys. This, this historic. is Bitcoin's biggest opportunity ever. And if it doesn't fuck it up, a lot of, <laughs> sorry, sorry for the effort. Uh, <laughs> if it doesn't F it up, uh, it could, it, this could be the moment where Bitcoin really breaks out and fulfills what Bitcoiners like illustrate as its manifest destiny. Absolutely. All right. In other news, <laughs> back to NFTs. <laughs> now NFTs. <laughs> NFTs are coming to Ave. Mm -hmm. This is kind of cool. This is from Metaversal. William Peaster from Metaversal this week. Um, all eyes on Ave. Why? Because Stani said this: NFT as collateral is coming to Ave. Why is this super important? I think it's less important for sort of the the Beeple art, and more important because every Uniswap pool that we are talking about, David. Mm -hmm. 
not actually an ERC-20. Right. It's an NFT. And the reason for that is these pools can be kind of unique and these pools can be sort of different. So if you're going to make that NFT and those liquidity pools composable and super fluid, as we did previously in Uniswap V2, you have to have in your protocol some support for NFTs as collateral. It looks like Aave is working on that right now. It's coming. Sani didn't mention a date, didn't right. mention the how-to, but like this team delivers, so it's coming. I do want to nitpick here about that uh, Stani tweet that we see on screen where he says NFT as collateral coming to Aave. If you read that, you're thinking like rareable art or super rare art, <laughs> not Uniswap NFTs because Uniswap <laughs> NFTs are actually just a wrapper around ERC-20 tokens like Ether or uh, WEther and like DAI and stuff like that. Uh, but it's also infrastructure for future NFTs. These are the low hanging fruit NFTs, the safe NFTs. Um, but once you get these NFTs in there, uh, we can now start to talk about like more complex, more like illiquid NFTs. Yeah, and everyone's hungry for those Uniswap uh, LP yep. NFTs for sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, all right, well, let's talk about another story, which is just a weird, like strange story, mm -hmm. kind of Bitcoin related, certainly crypto related and also mm -hmm. regulatory related. And that is the ransomware attacks. Now. The media has been calling these Bitcoin ransomware attacks, um, but like the only reason they're calling them Bitcoin ransomware attacks is because the attackers are asking for Bitcoin as payment. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fair, but it does put Bitcoin in a, a very negative light mm -hmm. from a media perspective. And I think there's probably two that we should talk about. Right. Like the first was the big pipeline hack that happened. This affected a lot of people on the East Coast. So. Um, you know, like I know people in the East coast, like locally for me, I couldn't actually get gas for a few days, David, it, like, the crypto, you're telling me that the crypto world impacted your real world life. Well, kind of, I mean, the hackers, they hacked the pipeline, right. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I guess if somebody paid them in Bitcoin earlier, then I could have gasoline quicker. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, but maybe it affected my real, like, so anyway, this was a big thing, a big event that happened, uh, in the U S and apparently the FBI has recovered some of mm -hmm. that Bitcoin mm -hmm. um, as of this week from the hack. So the, 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 um, the pipeline people actually paid the, the hackers. The hackers received the Bitcoin. Then they exited the system. The pipeline was restored. And now the FBI has somehow tracked down the Bitcoin and has actually gotten the proceeds of the payment back. How did they do that? What's the story here? Yeah, so the TLDR that I've heard, and I didn't look too closely into the story, is that the hackers were competent hackers, but were Bitcoin novices. And apparently they just used an exchange address to put their Bitcoins in. And so the exchange was like, oh, thank you. We're going to confiscate these. They, they forgot about the whole not your keys, not your crypto thing. So weird, though, right? So like the, the, the other, I guess, weird part of the story is how can... Uh, ransomware hackers be so competent, like hacking mm -hmm. into a major US pipeline, yet forget about their private keys and give that to a third party custodian. Whoops. Whoopsies. Like, does it seem weird Question, to you? It does seem weird to me. It does seem weird. It does seem weird. So this is one of those stories that's really complex and I'm just gonna wait for like the truth to come out over time. Me too. But the conspiracy theory is that, well, maybe some of this was done to make cryptocurrency look bad? Question ah. mark? The U.S. would never do such a thing. We don't do like behind the scenes psyops like this. No, the CIA, CIA super clean agency. 
meat company was uh, hacked too. Yeah. Bitcoin mm -hmm. ransomware attack. I don't know much about this story, but this was last week too. Mm -hmm. um, they paid $11 million in Bitcoin to get them to exit their system. Mm -hmm. JBS Holdings, meat company. Basically, the TLDR is that there's been two Bitcoin ransomware attacks in the last two weeks, and that's bad in of itself. Um, and the attackers are actually getting away with it. They're being sent Bitcoin, and it's a PR disaster for Bitcoin. It is, and we'll get to that. And when our, we talk about and our industry, industry, not just Bitcoin, our entire industry. Another week, another week that MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor, is buying Bitcoin. This he one's just, this one's a special week, though. This one's a special okay. week. Okay, why? Six hundred uh, five hundred million dollar junk bond offering, not just dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin, a big buy. Uh, and so uh, apparently, if, uh, I'm confused on the numbers, but uh, MicroStrategy has reportedly attracted more than one point six billion dollars worth of orders for its latest deal to purchase Bitcoin. Uh, but then, in the firm, you know, upped the raise from their four hundred million advertisement in the initial like you know seeking of investment up to 500 million. I'm not sure which is the right number. Anyways, MicroStrategy, again, doing a bond offering to buy Bitcoin. But MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor is just taking every bond it can get mm -hmm. and plugging that into Bitcoin purchases. Right. Mm -hmm. Which really goes to uh, Ray Dalio's conversation is like, why are people buying bonds instead of Bitcoin? And why are they going through MicroStrategy to yeah. do that? Mm -hmm. there, there is an answer to this question, and I got that answer from listening to the Castle Island uh, podcast a couple of months ago. Uh, and so that answer is out there. Apparently, it's complex, and I'm not prepared to say, say why. <laughs> All right. Michael Saylor buying Bitcoin is the headline, though. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about the 2020 Bitcoin conference that you're at. Mm -hmm. uh, David, anything to add on that? Yeah, uh, it was the world's biggest event since the Super Bowl which is crazy, largely because COVID, you know, killed all the events. 12,000 people went to the Bitcoin 2021 conference. 30,000 people went to Miami. And this was very much like a tale of two communities, because if you were a Bitcoiner and you went to the Bitcoin conference, you were like immensely satisfied with what happened, right? Like it was a straight up, it, like first and foremost, we call it a conference. No, it's a festival. It's a festival of, of Bitcoin culture. It's like Burning Man-ish. Like, a little bit, right? Like, um, I mean, there were talks and panels and stuff like that, very conferency, but like it was more of a festival. It was a celebration of Bitcoin. It was a celebration of Bitcoin culture. The Bitcoin art there was awesome. I saw it, saw it myself. I was there. It was my favorite part about the Bitcoin conference. The Bitcoin art is deep it has layers it's complex uh and so like i don't want to uh, you know we're kind of known in the in the world uh in the bankless world it's kind of waiting towards ethereum but bitcoin art is winning hands down like it's it's complex it's nuanced it's delicate oh my god it's so cool um and and all the bitcoiners were very happy with what happened at the conference now, the Ethereum people saw the same thing, the same reality, and came up with a different story. They saw toxic maximalism. They saw, you know, <laughs> bag, you know, just pump, pumping the Bitcoin bags, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, Anthony Cezano's tweeting out the real winner of Bitcoin uh, 2021 was Ethereum. All the Ethereum people agreed with it. It's interesting to see this one, uh, this, uh, one shared reality having two completely different interpretations by, like, the depending on what community you're in. Yeah, and I really enjoyed your opening note, David, this week mm -hmm. on, on uh, Bankless on uh, Monday, which kind of went through your mm -hmm. on-the-ground experience with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, just super interesting. I guess, you know, Ethereum conferences, I, 
feel so much different or look yeah, so much different. Sure. And like, maybe part of this is the difference between a, like Ethereum conferences are much more geeky and technical mm -hmm. and like building focused. There, mm -hmm. there is some culture, but it's like not as much. And I wonder if some of the differences, it's a project that's still building versus a, like, what really do you talk about in Bitcoin from a technical perspective, mm -hmm. like Taproot and Lightning? Right. Right. Like, but like the project's mostly done. Mm -hmm. So, but with Ethereum, you're talking about like rollups and sharding and like mm -hmm. what's, you know, the next advance in cryptography and all of these things. So I wonder if part of this is the, uh, the life cycle of the project. It's right. just after a project has ossified, maybe it just turns into like a, uh, a festival mm -hmm. type of environment and cultural type environment right. rather than a builder's environment. So I went to the the section of uh, the Bitcoin conference that had all like the booths, right? Like, you know, conferences, yeah. they sell booths to vendors and all the vendors are like custodial wallets, Bitcoin banks, you know, uh, just all, all the things that like are centralized and just like, don't really intrinsically interest interest me. So I was walking around. I was like, oh, yeah, you're 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 a centralized exchange. You're a centralized custodial wallet, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and like where like. For me, I just felt like where where are the where are the DeFi app guys? Where where's the DeFi <laughs> app? Where's Sushi Swap? Where where's the unicorn? Like the the, the culture is just extremely different. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, twelve thousand Bitcoiners went to the Bitcoin conference, biggest event in the world in the last year since the Super Bowl. Uh, and like the other takeaway is that now that COVID's over, uh, uh, people want to have fun. People want to have fun, especially since asset prices like pumped. Uh, yeah. And Bitcoiners also. The other takeaway is that Bitcoiners are also like very, very like anti-COVID, as in like they're just ready to shed the whole COVID laws. Uh, and so <laughs> okay. it's it's no surprise that Bitcoin had the first big event uh, in the world since the start lockdown of COVID. Uh, uh, Christian Corollas, my, my POV crypto podcast co-host, says Bitcoiners are on the forefront of freedom, and you got to hand it to them. If you are frustrated by COVID laws, the Bitcoin community was the first one to put their foot down and saying, we're having a 12,000 person event in Miami. And I was there. It felt like COVID wasn't a thing. Uh, and I have my vaccine, so it's chill. Um, but like very much felt like, oh yeah, I completely forgot about COVID. And now that I've come back from that and I'm in Seattle, I'm like still in that mindset. It's like, I've got my vaccine two weeks out. Like yeah. why, why are we still doing this mask thing? Um, yeah. uh, granted, I'm going to be patient, wear my mask when I'm asked, but still. That's my other take. Well, there's there's some culture clash here, and I think that uh, maybe comes in with uh, what's going on in regulatory, which mm -hmm. we should talk mm -hmm. about. So um, this is a super interesting clip. This is just from, I guess, Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to play this. So this is Senator Elizabeth Warren, who um, I, I think is obviously ran for president, is, is kind of a big deal in the Democratic Party. And I want to play what she says. She's, she's commenting on um, Bitcoin here. It's about, we've talked a lot today about the dangers that cryptocurrencies pose to our economy. We've talked about the ripoffs, the instability, the extent to which they're used to help criminals with cyber attacks, like the attack on Colonial Pipeline and JBS. But there's another piece too, the adverse environmental impacts of the computing activity used to mint many of these digital currencies in the first place. I'm going to pause it there, yeah. David, but she, she goes on. So you heard about that. So she mm -hmm. mentioned the, like the volatility, she mentioned the hacks, she mentioned the scam, she mentioned uh, ransomware. And she also mentioned the, the energy issue with Bitcoin. The rest mm -hmm. of this clip is all about the energy issue, energy consumption issue with Bitcoin. Um, this is the first time I've seen a high profile Senator 
go on the offensive mm -hmm. in this way against cryptocurrency. Now, it is, I think, mostly constrained to environmentally wasteful cryptocurrencies. But I mean, Bitcoin and proof of work and Ethereum is still on proof of work. That is the bulk of the money layer of this of this industry right. right now. So this is almost all active cryptocurrencies. And there wasn't a lot of nuance when I went through the rest of this video. Like there wasn't a lot of like, yes, there's volatility. Yes, there are rug pulls and scams. Yes, there are you know cr crazy prices, but like Let's talk about the freedom this brings right. to a population. Let's talk about decentralized right. finance. Let's say talk about one all the good, good thing, things. Elizabeth. Say, say good, one, one good thing. One good thing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting here is kind of the observation that um, you have a large group that is both on the right and the left in um, in the U.S. I think that are kind of the the group that wants uh, more authority, more control, more governmental control over crypto in general. And this spans both sides of the aisle, I think. Then you also have a group that is um, kind of demonizing the energy consumption of cryptocurrencies right now. And I'm somewhat worried, David, that these two groups come together, create a wedge issue out of this thing, form a coalition, mm -hmm. and like start to attack the industry. Right. Uh, we've always talked about the final boss. It's always been out on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Now we've got a country mm -hmm. adopting cryptocurrency. Are things about to go a little faster from here on out? What yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm really worried about like the woke cancel culture coming after crypto, right? Uh, because they'll go, like, the whole theory about cancel culture is they'll try and cancel anything for clout. Uh, and there's always kind of this like jostling for, for clout. And it's like, all right, who can cancel what and for what reasons? And if you can justify your cancellation of something, uh, then you get clout and woke culture and cancel culture. Uh, and so like, oh yeah, environmentally wasteful, uh, NFTs are, are, you know, they, their NFTs are killing the environment, right? Like they consume all this consumption. Bitcoin is killing the environment. Uh, the thing is like Elizabeth Warren got all of it wrong. Like, <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not saying that Bitcoin isn't wasteful, but she was saying that right. one Bitcoin transaction uses as much energy as 54 house or one household uses in 54 days, which is just abjectly the wrong way to think about it. Yes, you can, you can crit critique Bitcoin on its energy consumption, but it's not on a per transactional basis. So you're just showing that you don't know what you're talking about. Nick Carter had a really good tweet where he just went through all of the things that Elizabeth Warren was just criticizing, right? He called it knives out. Knives Policy out, right? Knives yeah. Out. Bitcoin energy use is a disaster for our planet. Bitcoin is disproportionately used for illicit purposes, even though we know that that is absolutely not true. I'm pretty sure it's less than 1%. Uh, Bitcoin is unproductive and has no utility. The only people that think that Bitcoin is unproductive and has no utility are people that don't like Bitcoin. Like if you if you like Bitcoin, then you think it has productivity and utility. And like this is my problem with... I like Elizabeth Warren. She's generally a good senator. I'm a left-leaning individual. Uh, this is an example of why Bitcoiners and libertarians at large get pissed off by governments because they're coming into this industry without any knowledge about it and saying what this industry needs to do yeah, from their like bird's eye like uh, you know throne room. Because David, I think that they're not looking to actually understand the industry. Mm -hmm. They're looking for like you, you called it clout, but like political wins mm -hmm. is what they're looking for yep. and the commentary they, they had a common um i can't remember the individual's name but he was like yeah you know what would be great is if we um 
we ban with other world countries and we, we make Bitcoin to fiat transactions illegal, just like across the board. And that way, all the people who are doing illegal activity have no way to convert it to dollars. Right. Like just the assumption that everyone who yeah. holds Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is doing mm-hmm. illegal activity. Mm-hmm. And like in that video too, Elizabeth Warren pitched it as like uh, legislation against energy consuming cryptocurrencies is a way we can have a win mm-hmm. for the green. Gotta got protect the children. Gotta protect a, the we, children. But we have a win for the green agenda, but she said it costs us nothing. Why? It's because it's a whole bunch of criminals using right. in this industry. Yep. It's a, it, you know, it's like it's like they see it as a win for green and political clout and agenda, mm-hmm. right? And there's no cost to it mm-hmm. because it's not affecting any yeah. of their constituent like any of the the interest groups or constituents that, that they care about. Right? right. Yeah. And again, like we could play the same clip. It could be a different issue, and it could come Porn, from the internet. Like, uh, yeah, video exactly. Games. Terrorist financing. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it, it could come from another place. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what's interesting, I think, is is following the uninformed takes on crypto. And I, I, I tweeted this out yesterday, David. It's like, is there just one individual in the House, uh, in in either, you know, the Senate or the House? one representative who has ever used DeFi. Hmm. Like, can we just find one, mm-hmm. right? I want to talk to that person. Closest person is Andrew Yang. Well, he's not, and he's, what is he? Uh, he's US, running um, for mayor of New York. Running for mayor of New York. But also, also uh, previously ran for president, so. A little bit yeah. worried, David, in the short run. Crypto doesn't have a lot of allies. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll have to see how this plays out. If we ever get Andrew Yang on the podcast, we're going to make him make a transaction on Uniswap. (laughs) (laughs) It has to be something. He has to buy something worthwhile, though. It can't be something (laughs) stupid. If Andrew Yang, if you're listening to this. Yeah. All right. Knives out. We'll see what happens. Not great news. Ryan, let's do a very quick drive-by on the rest of the news because we are taking a lot of time. How about this one? Oh my God, okay. IRS seeks millions in fresh funding to expand crypto tax enforcement and hire outside experts. The IRS knows that there is an absolute mountain of money waiting for them uh, if uh, in in the crypto world, like capital gains tax, uh, especially in in the short term, all in crypto. And so IRS IRS is uh, making some moves to make sure that they get their paycheck. I'll hit the next one. CFT commissioner criticizes DeFi, decries lack of intermediaries. The last CFTC commissioner uh, was our friend. This one may not be such a crypto advocate, so we'll see what happens there. Mm -hmm. Consumer U.S. inflation rates hits 5% for the last 12 months. 5% inflation for the last 12 months ending in May, which is a high number. Meanwhile, Amazon doing okay, and they are looking for DeFi experience in job postings for a head of blockchain, Hmm. big tech entering Hmm. blockchain, entering crypto is probably a theme. BlockFi raising $500 million in a Series E funding round at a pre-money valuation of $4.75 billion. That's a big number. Crypto banks, crypto banks crushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is Ledger, the hardware wallet, they landed an additional $380 million in a Series C round. Solana Labs raises $314 million in a new funding round led by A16Z and Polychain Capital. Uh, Solana's got some attention lately. Decent, yeah. A decent amount of attention. 
definitely has a decent treasury mm -hmm. as well. So mm -hmm. if you can buy your way into legitimacy, uh, Solana is definitely able to do that with its treasury. I think buying your way into legitimacy is an oxymoron. Uh, didn't work for EOS. We'll see. Um, Coinbase partnering with a 401k advisor to off offer crypto investments for retirement accounts. This is a much needed gap. Um, mm -hmm. You could do this with a self-directed IRA 401k. We've talked about this on Bankless. Coinbase looks like they're trying to come up with the easy button. Probably a good move. That is it for our news. We're going to get to the sponsors and we'll be back with some takes. Synthetics is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetics is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetics. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by Synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the Synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders. Developers can build on Synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, guys, we are back with some hot takes, and we're going to get to the meme of the week. The first one is from Joe Weisenthal. This is based on an article, and you really enjoyed this article. Mm -hmm. What's Joe saying in this tweet and in the article, David? Yeah, the article is titled, There's a Hot New Vision for Crypto, and It's Wildly Different Than Bitcoin. Uh, Joe Weisenthal, host of Odd Lots podcast, very popular podcast in the, in the TradFi space, uh, and he's also on TV all of the time. Uh, and Sorry? Bloomberg, primarily. Bloomberg, yes, yeah, yep. importantly, Bloomberg, yeah, not just TV. Um, <laughs> but uh, this this article is all about DeFi. Uh, Joe Weisenthal playing around in DeFi and accurately, I think, reporting on what makes DeFi cool, unique, and special, and in, in, importantly, different from Bitcoin. And so I, I want to really just want to reread the headline because it's really important. There's a hot new vision for crypto, 
and it's wildly different than Bitcoin. Uh, from Bitcoin, right? And this is kind of what the hammer we've been trying to be on Bankless is that DeFi, a decentralized app layer, is a brand new banking layer and does all the cool new things that Bitcoin doesn't really get to talk about or do. Uh, and Joe Weisenthal reporting on this, a very like prominent thought leader on Bloomberg with, a, with his own podcast, writing a very, very in-depth article talking positively about DeFi. He said it's why and why it's time to stop talking about this space as a monolith. I'm mm -hmm. glad he said that too. Mm -hmm. And he, he's used terms in his tweets before like um, traditional finance being ETH-pilled, mm -hmm. which is super interesting. I think mm -hmm. what he's talking about is uh, mainstreaming DeFi to traditional finance. And uh, if cool. you uh, have been paying attention to Joe Weisenthal on Twitter, like he's been engaging with DeFi folks, talking to Hayden Adams, talking to DeFi dad. I've had some back and forth messages with him. Um, I requested him to come on the podcast and he punted, uh, but he also said he was interested. So he maybe he said yeah. maybe later. Yeah, very cool. Um, this is another take. This is one from me. I'll just read it. It's easier for a 14 year old to learn MetaMask than it is to open up a bank account. Gen Z will be the bankless generation. David, th this really just hit me. It's kind of, I guess, a shower thought, but mm -hmm. so I was just thinking about um, like kids, young kids mm -hmm. and like their adoption of crypto. I mean, they've grown up in this digital world. And if you're talking to someone who's like 18 or under, um, MetaMask is so much more, I, I guess, intuitive to them mm -hmm. versus going to a bank branch, presenting your information and registering to get a bank account. And I think this is really going to be the case is like bank accounts become obsolete for these newer gener uh, you know, mm -hmm. digital generations, right? It's like, yeah, but if I open up a bank account, can I put my game items in them? <laughs> right? Like, can I put my loot in it? Like, well, okay. Can I put this awesome art, right? right? Like uh -huh. all of the, the clout, the mm -hmm. NFT clout. And no, I can't put that in the bank account. Like, most of their value is going to be external to the traditional mm -hmm. financial system. Mm -hmm. And things like MetaMask are just going to be super intuitive to them. So uh, yeah, I, I do think like at some level, um, you know, millennials, Gen, Gen X and others, we're, like, we're kind of building this system, mm -hmm. but sometime we're going to pass the torch and Gen Z is just going to, it's going to be party time. They're going to go wild with it. They're going right. to like finish the entire experiment and like mm -hmm. be born into it in a way that I think the millennial generation was born into the internet. So that was the take. Super yeah. excited about that. That's a really good take. What, what, worldwide too, man. I just realized, like, what does Wells Fargo do other than hold dollars for me? Can I even hold a different currency in there? I don't even, right? I don't even know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not doing I can much. I hold a bajillion either. currencies That's in my right. Ethereum account. This is a really good take from Brantley Milligan of ENS. Brantley a while ago had this thread about one of the coolest things that crypto and Ethereum has done is put a private key in the hands of so many people. And so he follows up that, uh, that thread with this thread where he goes, the Ethereum community has accidentally solved a major problem of the internet, single sign-on. Quote, sign on with Ethereum, quote, is the future login for every app on the internet, crypto related or not. What he's saying is that instead of using your email and password, you can use your private key to sign into a website because all a website needs to do is to log who you are as a unique identifiable user. And that is the purpose of a private key. Uh, and so in the same way that like you sign a message to log into a DeFi app or you log into MetaMask with your ledger, all you have to do is sign a message 
and to prove your that you have a specific public address and all of a sudden the website can log you as a unique identifiable user and you don't have to give up your email or your password or your date of birth or anything uh, and so this has always been a terrible part of the 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 web 2 world is you got to use an email and an email is extremely identifiable private keys are a much better way to sign on to websites. And again, oh this is not even, not, you are not broadcasting a transaction to Ethereum. This is just signing a message. So it's using public private key cryptography as a tool that is independent from cryptocurrency or blockchains or whatever. And, and, and think about like all of our password management tools. Oh, like fair. how many username and passwords do you have? Infinite. Like, mm -hmm. God, it's just getting unmanageable. Mm -hmm. I, I might have hundreds mm -hmm. at this point, David. Mm -hmm. Like just like, because... You, you don't ever uh, disconnect them either. You right. don't ever discontinue them. So mm -hmm. this is all of those compact into one login. All right, David, you had a take here too. I'm going to read it out. Bitcoin is physical. Ethereum is digital. Bitcoin, physical, Ethereum, digital. What do you mean by this? Yeah, so this is uh, something I've been chewing on for a while and definitely uh, came about with this whole El Salvadorian uh, Bitcoin is legal tender for a country uh, conversation. Bitcoin has a strong interest in being very, very instantiated in the physical world. It loves sucking energy out of the world because it wants to be a part of the world itself. It wants to be part of the physical world. It needs physical energy to power this physical Bitcoin proof of work mining operation. It also wants to be the legal tender for physical meat space countries. Right? It, Bitcoin wants to be a part of the physical world. And that's one of the big cultural divides between Bitcoiners and Ethereans. Bitcoiners celebrate a nation state, a meat space nation state adopting Bitcoin as a currency. Ethereum and Ethereans, we want everything to be digital. Proof of stake is the most digital form of security consensus. We don't want Ether to be the national currency for any country. We want people to be able to choose their preferred digital token or Ether as their as a result of their own choice. And so to me, like Ethereum will never go after some sort of nation state national currency. It's the currency of the internet. It's the currency of the digital world. It allows the bankless nation to choose their own currency and maximizing choice. And Bitcoiners all, always all talk about like freedom from oppression, freedom from coercion. We talked about this earlier in the conversation, but to me, the Ethereum app layer is the manifestation of the most choice possible and what DeFi is we talk about DeFi as a crucible of competition that is always best for the user and this online virtual uh, network this this DeFi native this internet native network is the most uh, you know the most digital money system possible and these differences in communities I think are really really interesting and and personally I think the digital world is going to 10x in growth than the physical world, right? We were talking to, uh, Ryan, we, you and I were having a private conversation with someone who said uh, something on the lines of when they were an internet entrepreneur and they said in the, in the 90s that the physical world is really, really big and the internet world is really, really small. And so I want to be where people are going to flow to. Uh, people are going to flow into the digital world. And same thing with Ethereum. The, digi the di uh, physical world's already really big. And people are going to flow into digital assets and digital money. And Ethereum is the instantiation of digital first money. Yeah, I, I do think that's a good take. I, I think um could add to that, like Bitcoin is about the existing institutions, mm -hmm. right? Like that's what you mean by sort sure. of the physical. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ethereum is more about building these new institutions. Mm -hmm. I think that's another great way to look at it. Um, totally. Yeah, super cool. David, we got to get to this listener question. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm just going to read it out. So this is a, a comment on the debrief that we do at the end of each of our uh, podcasts for premium subscribers. Appreciate the debrief. One thing my friend was telling me is that it could be a big sell-off when ETH staking of 32 ETH, um, people get all their ETH back. Do you think that will be a thing or will most hold on since it's a triple point <laughs> asset? David, what do you think about that? Yeah, right. So he he's asking Amal Amal FI twenty two. Thanks for the question. Um, he's saying that like uh, when people started putting their money in their ether into the deposit contract, ether was like four to seven hundred dollars. Now it's two thousand five hundred dollars, and when it's a one way bridge. It's a one way bridge, right? Like it, you're stuck there you're un, until until like the merge happens. So he's he's asking he or she is asking, well, when this merge happens and people get all their ETH back, do you think there's going to be a big sell off because all these people made all these gains and they haven't been able to sell because it's been locked. And so uh, the way proof of stake works is that people that are the most bullish on Ether are always the first to stake. People that are intrinsically long Ether, the asset, always want to be staking. So yes, it's very plausible that people want to take some gains off the table, you know, make their make their personal lives for better and for the people around them. Uh, but also, they're already the people that are the most bullish on Ether, the asset. That's why they're staking. And also, when the merge does happen, staking yields go from like 10, 8 to 9% where it is right now, and it goes up to 20 to 25% depending on gas fees because you get the transaction fees and the MEV fees. Uh, and so yields are actually going to go up when the merge happens. And so we have the most bullish people who have staked all the ETH and they're going to be able to get even more yields than they're already getting. And so there's some definitely some very significant arguments as to why there will not be a big sell-off when the merge happens. I think I pretty much buy those arguments. I yeah. don't have anything to add. Um, I think that's gonna how it's probably going to play out. Um, guys, if you have a question, find a way to get it to us, mm -hmm. uh, either Twitter or on one of the Bankless newsletters. Uh, we will include some more of these in rollups moving forward. David, let's get to what we are excited about. What are you excited about this week? I'm really excited about this article that came out on the Bankless newsletter by a brand new Bankless contributor, Ben Giov, Giov, Ben, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, sorry. Um, and uh, he's somebody I connected with because he's actually the president of Chapman University Crypto Club, which is my former college. Uh, and he wrote this fantastic piece uh, earlier about all about Polygon, and it was great. And so I challenged him to write, uh, do a write-up on Vitalik's proposal that the Uni token becomes an Oracle token. In addition to being a governance token over the Uniswap exchange, Vitalik did this write-up about how Uni could be a token to make an off-chain uh, uh, off price Oracle for price fees into DeFi. And that resembles an entirely new value capture mechanism for the uni token if they if the uniswap governance decides to go down this path and so ben did a very fantastic job tackling a very hard subject and talked about how this uh what this oracle could do how it's different or the same versus Chainlink, how it helps uni capture value and what are the similarities and differences with other DeFi protocols such as uma so ben excited to have you on the bankless writer squad a nice job on the article ryan the other thing i'm excited about is the Nick Carter State of the Nation. We're going to ask all of the questions about El Salvador. And so, Bankless listeners, if you want those questions, let us know. And then for the third thing, Ryan, I'm triple dipping, is tomorrow morning, I pack up all my stuff and I leave to San Diego. Going to be a San Diegan uh, by this time All right, guys. Like, okay, so everyone say bye-bye to David's background because it will, we will never see this again. Mm -hmm. Dude, you should you should uh, take a screenshot or something so we could do a green screen. Well, it's, it's very, it's, very different than what you're used to, but uh, here, here it is. plants, sad. <laughs> I think some of them have to stay. I was sad to hear that. 
but I, th- I think they're all coming, but we'll, we'll say stay tuned. Oh for my that. God. Yeah. We're going to look, f- we're looking forward to seeing what you have set up in San Diego, man. That's going to be cool. If you are our bankless Dow member, let's meet up in San Diego. Ryan, what are you excited about? Uh, look, man, I guess it's all bankless content this week because <laughs> I was super excited about this panel that we did on Wednesday with three of the biggest like DeFi brains in this space. Uh, I feel like one was Vance Spencer, Spencer Noon, and uh, Santiago Santos. And um, that panel was just super cool. You, you guys should watch it from beginning to end. But the last question really resonated with me. And uh, we actually didn't have that question on the notes of the agenda. So you kind of like popped it up and, and surprised me with it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, the question was, how has DeFi changed your life? Mm-hmm. And the answers that these panelists gave uh, were, were super cool. Um, I think one of them said, first of all, it's an unbelievable investment opportunity that I would have never had access to. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm not plugged into those VC circles, kind of the Silicon Valley circles, the Wall Street circles that you need to be. And I kind of discovered this for myself. But all of them were united in these two things too. That's like, number one, the mission of DeFi excited them, creating a bankless money system for the world. So it's great to see investors who are mission inspired. They also reflected on what a privilege it is to work in DeFi. Like DeFi doesn't discriminate. Um, Santiago talked about hiring a 18 year old at Terrify. An 18 year old Anon. Completely anonymous. and it's because just this person was the best at what they did. And again, didn't care this person's age, didn't care what degree this person had. Um, I love this about DeFi that is completely open and accessible to the world. If you have a hunger, you are talented, you want to learn this stuff, you can get involved uh, and um, you can rise pretty quickly. So there's just so much opportunity at, at this early stage in the industry. DeFi is, is uh, such a cool mission. And um, man, this piece of content was was really awesome. So check that out, Bankless YouTube. Check it out on the podcast. Uh, I think we called it the current state of DeFi, a panel with those three gentlemen. And the future of panels out of the Bankless uh, YouTube is going to be hot. We already are planning our More next panels. one. Yeah, with uh, Cooper Turley. Uh, and uh, it's going to be all about the creator, the, the creator economy. Uh, and so stay tuned for that one. Uh, I think that'll come at the end of this month. David, it's time for Meme of the Week. Favorite time. Finally. The whole point of the weekly roll-up. Finally, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? This is, it looks like a tweet from Chase. This is a real tweet from Chase Bank. And it's a, it's a hypothetical conversation between you and your bank account. And you, you say, why is my balance so low? And the bank account says, make coffee at home. Bank account says, eat the food that's already in the fridge. Bank account says, you don't need a cab. It's only three blocks. You, you say, I guess we'll never know why my balance is so low. And the bank account says, seriously, question mark, hashtag Monday motivation. <laughs> and then strong juxtaposition with another tweet from Public Citizen, the whistleblower community, uh, the whistleblower organization says, bank that pays its CEO $31 million and received a $12 billion bailout after crashing our economy tells poor people to stop being so irresponsible with their money. But F you, maybe I wanted to take a cab to three blocks. Maybe my foot hurt. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Stop bailing out banks with golden parachutes. F yourself. Yeah, I, look, what's the motivation after I read something like this? <laughs> like, my motivation is to shut down my Chase account. Yeah, motivation like, to go bankless. Leave, 
Yeah, it's motivation to go bankless. Absolutely. That's the meme of the week, guys. We've got one more moment of Zen, so stay tuned for that. It's been great to with, be with you on the weekly roll-ups. Thanks a lot. Hey, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin Nerd?